Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to the Understanding Healthcare podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Rob Yates, Executive Director of the Center for Universal Health at Chatham House. Rob has led a remarkable career focused on health financing reforms and universal health coverage. In our conversation, we delved into his transformative experiences on the world stage, insights to strengthen health systems in times of crisis, and the political determinants crucial for health policy success. So, here's my conversation with Rob Yates. So thanks again, Rob. I I really appreciate it. Throughout your career with global health organizations, including roles in the UK government, the World Health Organization, you've undoubtedly encountered many memorable moments. Could you share one such moment along the way that particularly stands out for you and how this has influenced your current approach uh, in health policy? Sure. And there was one absolute memorable moment, which was completely sort of career changing and life changing for me, really, that I think I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, that I was uh, working in Uganda uh, in 2001. I was seconded to, to the Ministry of Health, working on health financing reforms and health systems reforms, very supply side focused. And we were almost oblivious to the fact that there was a presidential election campaign ongoing. And, and this was back in the dark ages where where user fees were charged right across sub-Saharan Africa and everyone, no one really questioned that. But 10 days before the presidential election, President Museveni scrapped all the healthcare user fees through the entire public system from the health centres right the way through to the tertiary hospitals. And we in the Ministry of Health didn't know anything about it. Um, So this was a bit embarrassing for me as the health economics advisor to suddenly be bounced with this. And I must admit at the time, you know, we we thought this was a really rash and, and, and daft thing to do. But he was smart, that that the president, because he simultaneously, he increased all the health workers' salaries. He just unilaterally decided to do that. I don't think the Ministry of Finance were too happy about that. And he also instructed finance to give us lots of money to buy medicines. And we we bought lots and lots of medicines very quickly. And those two things together really sustained the policy, at least for the short term. And, and it was just astonishing seeing the uptake in services and realising that so many people had been excluded because of user fees and that the system coped remarkably well with that big demand side shock. And the less, the main lesson I learned from that was, was why weren't we talking to President Museveni before? You know, that that we'd been just trying to get money out of finance without much success. <laughs> but but talking to a politician in desperate need of winning an election, you know, he was very, very interested in a big popular health financing policy. And so really that 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 completely changed my way of thinking about these things, you know, realizing that health financing reforms really are more political than anything else and that you really, really should abolish healthcare user fees. I mean, you know, the the, the terrible mistakes that were, were sort of made in enforcing countries like Uganda to charge user fees was was criminal, you know, that, that, that shouldn't have happened. So, you know, these lessons, you know, the importance of removing user fees and that, if you're going to have a big bang reform like this, it must be led by the head of state. It's not going to be done by the Ministry of Finance and them, certainly not by the Ministry of Health because they won't have the money to do it. So ever since my focus has been on, on trying to get to political leaders right. to encourage them to do similar things. 
Absolutely. And that sort of gets to the political determinants that, that, that you've worked on and, and are so important. But this perfectly leads me into the next question, mm -hmm. which is currently in your work at Chatham House. You've been at the forefront of shaping these policies around universal health coverage. I know you've spoken about the importance. You mentioned public health financing mechanisms, but also progressive in nature. Is there a specific policy or approach you've been instrumental in developing or potentially you'd like to see implemented moving forward and how that makes a difference? Yes. And, and, and I think that, I mean, as one always has to say, you know, it's not a case of one size fits all, you know, that we're, we're not flogging a necessarily a, a pure model. But I think there are some real general principles that we, we can apply now. And I think they are really the consensus when it comes to financing universal health coverage. I mean, you know, universal health coverage is dominating the the whole health agenda. You can see that through UN resolutions. It's an SDG target. You know, the idea that everyone gets all the health services they need with financial protection leads you almost immediately to recognizing that you can only do that through a publicly financed health system. You can't do it through certainly charging user fees. Okay because only the rich people will be able to afford the more expensive services. So, I mean, that, that's a non-starter. Um, but likewise, private health insurance is a hopeless way to finance a health system. You know, that, that um, you because you'll have sort of people who are excluded with, with preconditions naturally, and that you need the state to get involved to force healthy, wealthy people to subsidize the sick and the poor. There's just no other way of doing it. Now, there are different forms of public financing for health. You know, you can use general taxation is a very obvious one. Social health insurance contributions, which are progressive. They have to be progressive. But what most countries do anyway is to mix those. Even the UK, you know, that a good chunk of the NHS is funded out of national insurance. So I think we are really sort of, you know, recognising more and more that the only way to achieve universal health coverage is through a publicly financed system, a, a socially financed health system. Now, that's not to say that that you know that wealthy individuals might want to take out supplementary private health insurance if they want to. Uh, that that's completely up to them. And again, that that that's very common. So I I think the approach that that is being taken across the world is, is recognizing the importance of socializing the health financing system having a universal entitlement to services. Now, that's a that's a big step, you know, to say that we're not just preserving this socialised health system for selected groups of the population, but it should be for everyone. And I think, you know, this has been the key to success right across Europe, uh, in great chunks of Latin America now, Australasia, Japan, and there have been some really dramatic examples of countries doing this in the last 20 to 30 years. One thinks of Mexico, Turkey, uh, Thailand is a wonderful example, a really, really great example. And the, the, the Thais are evangelical about this because they've seen the benefits of this. So I, I think it's you know much of taking those lessons and suggesting that there are parts of the world that you know really ought to do the same thing. And, and it makes so much sense in South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the United States, you know, the one OECD country that monumentally failed to do this. But I think we'll do at some point. So that's very much our approach. And, and we're, we're very much working at these countries at the, at the front line of this. 
And, you know, maybe I can give you one or two examples in a moment of countries that we think are absolutely ripe for this and their leaders want to do it. And it's really just a matter of having the political commitment and the reforms to do it. I, I think it gets to your point of we've seen where countries that have pushed forward in this regard, you've seen uh, areas that have been strengthened like primary care, which is certainly in need of revitalization and strengthening now. And you've seen areas like that improve. You mentioned Turkey and others. And so I, mm-hmm. I'd, sure I'd, I'd appreciate other examples as well. But mm-hmm. you mentioned, you know, advising political leaders, the importance of political will in getting a lot of this done. You know, are there instances of where these recommendations on universal health coverage reforms were key in bringing about shifts in a nation's health policy, but also how does that underscore, like I mentioned, the importance of political will and stakeholder engagement in health system transformation? Yes. And and I mean, I'd be very fortunate in, in my career, you know, learning those lessons from Uganda and, and working with politicians that, you know, I think that we have been instrumental in um, initiating or, or helping support these these processes. And, and Look, looking back, you know, sort of over the last 20 or so years, I can think of examples in Zambia when we work with the the Minister of Health to encourage the president to remove uh, healthcare user fees. Nepal, after uh, the civil war, when there was the, the first democratic elections in, in 2008-9, we worked, and again, this was working with the UK government, you know, sort of working to encourage abolishing use of fees and introducing a universal health system. I think we were fairly instrumental there as well. And I must say a lot of credit goes for our former Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, who back in 2009 really focused on this, you know, that that he made this a priority uh, for the UK government. And, and he spoke directly two heads of state to encourage them to do similar policies. And and one thinks of a an event at the United Nations General Assembly, I think it was in 2010, where Gordon Brown and the president of the World Bank, interestingly, co-chaired an event where six heads of state announced that they were going to extend the provision of free health care. In some instances, it was just for, say, pregnant women and children, uh, one thing that Sierra Leone was a, com- a country that, that that did that. But also, I think at that event, it was Liberia, Nepal, Burundi, Ghana, all sort of announced extensions in that policy. And we've continued sort of working on this. And, uh, and again, I've been fortunate to, uh, I think, you know, help move things along in countries like Indonesia, where the former governor of Jakarta ran to become president in 2014 on a UHC platform, publicly financed UHC platform. And I, I was working in Indonesia at the time for WHO and rather under the radar was helping support and advise the, the, the governor on this. And he won and he's just completing two terms now. And and I, I do think he was going to do it anyway, actually. So I don't want to for one moment to say uh, it, was, it was my idea. But I like to think that we provided him with evidence, uh, particularly evidence of other countries who had done it. And, and when I spoke to him back in 2014, just as he was starting his presidential campaign, he was unaware that, that say, Taksin had done this in, in Thailand. And I think it did sort of give him the confidence to make this a flagship policy of his election campaign. Right. And I think across the board, the benefits that have come to those countries that have implemented these reforms, it's really been substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, 
With your expertise in uh, both economics, but also early studies in the natural sciences, how do you integrate diverse fields in, in your work? How has this interdisciplinary approach to global health policy really been beneficial in your career? It is about bringing disciplines together, you know, that we in in the health sector can be terribly sort of tribal and precious about our own professions. And, and you do sometimes sort of see, say, some of the, the, the health professionals, you know, sort of fantastic health professionals, of course, you know, who are the, the, the backbone of the health system. Uh, reluctant to engage in things like economics and financing and, you know, sort of a tendency sometimes think, well, just because we're sort of dealing with life and death issues, we should have all the money we we want and, and you know, that, that uh, don't engage in discussions around cost effectiveness and, and choices between uh, priorities. You know, likewise, you know, the ministries of finance often don't like the health sector. They don't really get it as populations age and and the the healthcare needs increase naturally countries are going to have to spend more money on their health systems you know that, that that just goes without saying and it's even interesting how both some of the economists and the health people don't engage with the politicians you know and, and everyone recognizes that you need political commitment um, and, you know, that we need to couch this in language that politicians understand and they like and be absolutely explicit about the political benefits of doing this. And, you know, that we are so reticent to sort of just gift wrap it to say, look, if you do this, this could enable you to win the election. And, and again, that goes back to my lessons from Uganda. It was just so obvious that President Museveni did that to stay in power. And this is good politics, you know, it's giving the people what they want. So I do think, you know, that how important it is to bring those elements together. And this is what we're trying to do at Chatham House to address the political economy of health and health reforms. And if you are going to succeed, how important it is to bring all those stakeholders along. This essentially gets to looking at where we've been with the COVID-19 pandemic, but also navigating towards the future with evolving health challenges and, and new innovations coming out to improve outcomes. What do you mm -hmm. perceive as the key hurdles, but also opportunities for countries, particularly like the UK with the state of the NHS, in strengthening health systems and leading the charge towards UHC that it's affordable, accessible, and high quality? Yes, well, there are multiple uh, challenges that we're all all facing. And, and I, I mentioned, you know, one of the big ones, of course, is that that demand is going up and up, you know, that we have aging populations and, and the expectations of people are to keep going longer and lead healthier lives. And, and um, this is putting big pressure, particularly on long-term social care for, for, for the elderly. And, and a lot of countries are struggling with this. We are big time in the UK and, and I think historically made the mistake of financing social care and healthcare separately. But then I, th I think people are across the political spectrum now are, are realizing, you know, that's got to change. And thankfully, learning the lessons from funding the NHS that, you know, this is best done actually out of general taxation. And that, that is going to be to be the trend. So you've got you have rising demand and it is undoubtedly the case that we are going to have to spend more money as a share of our GDP on health and health services. But politically, uh, making the sort of population understand that, you know, this is what we need to do is difficult. 
and you have political forces who are working against this you know who basically don't believe in the universality of this and 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 are, are not seeing this from a holistic societal perspective and are propagating a myth that you can have say scandinavian style health system with us style taxation levels and and it's just a lie you can't you can't do this so it's a real political battle to get sufficient financing you know that and without the financing you don't stand a, a chance yeah but then, of course, you you need to spend that money well, and and you know that's where you you do need to invest massively in infrastructure, information technology, you know all the technological advances that are coming along. Plus, of course, you know your workforce. I mean, you know that that accounts for about eighty percent of Absolutely. the NHS budget, and and you know that's obviously been underinvested in in the UK, as you can see by the strikes at the moment. You know the the absolute legitimate strikes by junior doctors who who are undervalued and um, so you know all these health systems need to be working perfectly together and, and i haven't even mentioned that you know access to medicines and and and, and diagnostics and and you know the, you need them all basically yeah. but as i say the absolute foundations that you don't stand a chance you need the political commitment and the public financing otherwise it's uh, really impossible yeah. And in that regard, especially this is a huge year because we have elections across the globe and you mentioned the importance of political will and and certainly we'll see what happens across mm. the US, the UK and many other countries with these aims. But my final question is, given all these insights and what we've discussed today, what advice would you offer to current and emerging professionals eager to contribute meaningfully across health policy? I think that, that to be honest, to be optimistic, I mean, I think the general trend is towards publicly financed universal health coverage. It's happening all over the world. And, and the great thing is, is that countries and populations that get it just know how precious it is. And, and you know, that you, you just see how popular the NHS is. Mm -hmm. uh, it is going to be a massive issue in the election this year. And, and I think the opinion polls show, you know, the, the indication is, is that the, the Labour Party and, and the opposition parties are likely to win the election with a, a lot of it being around the state of the NHS and, and the British population being very unhappy with the performance of the government over the last 12 years and wanting to vote in governments who are going to do something about it. So there's a real history of this. I mean, Yvonne, you've got to go back to the, the 1990s when we, practically the same thing happened in, in 1997. And interestingly, in Thailand, a democratic government has just been elected um, and the, it's the centre parties, you know, who have been campaigning to uh, extend health coverage uh, have won, in, including, you know, the, the party of former Prime Minister Taksin. Um, you know, the, the, there's a real, I think, democratic movement sort of towards UHC. And Brazil's another good example of President Bolsonaro, whose performance through COVID was absolutely lamentable, being replaced by President Lula now, who's committed to, to rejuvenating their great health system. So I do think we should be optimistic. And so many of the world's great universal health systems actually come out of periods of crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you look at, you know, after the Second World War, you know, we did it in the UK and France and Japan did too. Thailand was after the Asian financial crash. China after the SARS epidemic of the, the mid-2002 period, I think. So 
I, th I think that we we can be uh, optimistic that you know the history is is looking good for for more of this happening, but therefore very much encourage health professionals and people interested in health to get involved in this and get involved in the politics of it. Um, I I do very much say that people interested in health and health reforms they need to acknowledge that it is a political process and and they you know need to speak out when when services are are being neglected and and younger professionals you know right across from the political scientists to to the economists and all, all the health workers to get involved in the politics of this mm -hmm. and and I think there are some very effective politicians who have actually started off as as health professionals and and then have realized well if we're going to have substantial change on a, on a national level this is more political maybe than it is technical so re really to get stuck into the politics would be my my top piece of advice really and you mentioned earlier you know the tribalism and how we need to sort of integrate what is happening on the ground with patients to what's happening politically and in the houses of parliament and the yeah. city halls and the councils so rob I, I really appreciate you making time today and it, it really means a lot and, and, and thanks so much again yeah absolutely delighted to, to join you sam Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rob. His insights into the political aspects of health financing reforms and the stories of impactful changes in global health were truly inspiring and enlightening. It's clear that understanding the intersection of politics and health policy is vital for creating meaningful change. So, I hope you're doing well and staying safe, and remember, we can't just consume healthcare, we have to understand healthcare.